Hi, as always, it's Darren. For any first-time listeners, I head up our account management and customer success teams here at Hackjob. This week, I'm joined by Mark Douch, Recruitment Manager at Starling Bank. How are you, Mark? Hey, yeah, good, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. So I suspect that some of the listeners won't have come across your profile before. So can you give us a little bit of a, a background into, into your career and how you've ended up in the position you are? Sure. I guess I will start by saying... I've gone down the typical recruitment route. So I'm going to be one of those boring people that say I began my career in an agency and then made the transition. So, yeah, what's that going to be about 10? Yeah, almost 10 years ago now. My first foray into the recruitment world was at a very small recruitment agency specializing in um, HR of, of all things. So most of my days were spent hiring uh actually hiring into internal recruitment teams so I, a lot of my work was finding recruiters to go and work at these sorts of places so in terms of giving me an indication as to what that world could actually be like yeah it was a good it was a good taster actually and is probably uh what i guess helped draw me into moving in, in, into that side of the fence you know i, I don't, don't consider myself a salesperson at all but i knew that to make that move you know people want to see some some experience right and generally you only tend to get that from agency so yeah spent about three years spent about three years there uh, that was great it was run by two guys um who founded the business themselves you know we we still keep, keep in touch to this day which i think is you know testament to what they're doing and you know the relationship that they had with their staff as well so yeah following that got my first my first gig in-house the other side of the fence went to ee which I'm sure most people will have heard of. So back then, I mean, we, they were still dealing with the the fallout of the T-Mobile Orange merger. So some stuff there was a little bit clunky, but, you know, a great grounding into the world of in-house, you know, the, the cushioning of a, a larger team, you, you sort of get the a bit more sympathy, I suppose, or, or yeah. buffering to, to learn the ropes and, you know, make a few mistakes along the way, which absolutely really did. Good. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it'd be lying if I said it was all perfect. Um, so yeah, there was again based in the the sort of corporate recruitment arena. So pretty much touched everything from a real time analyst for a contact center in Darlington through to you know a commercial relationship pricing things I'd never even heard of. Didn't really know what I was looking for uh, at the time, you know, to be based out of the head office in, in in Paddington in London. So, yeah, real mixed bag. Supported on some high volume stuff there as well for you know retail store assistants and contact center agents and stuff like that. So, uh, re- really broad mix. And then Zendesk, which totally different environment. You know, a SaaS software business. Again, most people probably have never heard of Zendesk, but they'll have heard of the companies that use. Zendesk's software so their, their, their stuff gets predominantly used in customer service environments so a lot of the organizations that are perhaps renowned for treating their customers really well will use Zendesk software uh, I didn't realize at the time until I'd said I was leaving to come to Starling Bank Starling Bank were a customer when <laughs> when I left which was interesting but yeah about three years there and that, that again an extra string to the bow from EE because that gave me the opportunity to expand my recruitment expertise into Europe so you know we were opening 
brand new offices in places like Munich and hiring people to, for, for the first time in Spain and Italy as, as part of our growth. So having to deal with the challenges of trying to convince someone to be the very first person to come and work for us in an entire country was, yeah, was, was certainly interesting. Yeah. So again, there for about three years and then joined Starling about maybe two years ago this January. So again, something completely different. You know, Zendesk was, was just hitting about a thousand employees globally, I think, when when I joined there, but they'd obviously been around for a while. Starling, when I joined, was just edging to 300 people. We had one office in London. Now we are almost 1,100 employees across three offices in the UK and one in Dublin. And yeah, my time here has been spent on building out a team uh, to deal with the sheer volume of hiring that we've been doing. About 600 people last year, probably five, 550, maybe again, hitting the end of this year as well. Forming the, the foundations for a good and, and efficient internal recruitment function, which mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily here prior to my joining as well. For anyone that doesn't know Starling Bank, can you just yep. give us a, a bit of an explanation? Because there might be listeners from outside the UK. So what, what Starling Bank do? Yeah, cool. Sure. So we are a digital only, I used to say app-based bank, but that's not strictly true now because we do have a, a web portal that customers can also access us on. But a, yeah, a branchless digital first bank founded in uh, 2014. Um, we've had a banking license for, for a number of years now. We offer all the features of a fully fledged bank in terms of personal banking with a with a free current account, uh, and then also business banking for sole traders or limited companies. Yeah, again, put that sort of growth into context. We are now, I think when I joined, we used to put on our job adverts that we had something like 300,000 customers. Uh, now we are over 1.8 million accounts with three and a half billion pounds on deposit or something so so yeah uh, fully fledged bank but mobile first a, a fintech um or challenger bank whatever we're being called nowadays um. <laughs> it's interesting you talk about the growth because you, you said what the company size was when you joined and yeah. then obviously they've been around for for a couple of years but it's only really the last three years by the sounds of it that the growth has like exploded so it seems like you've come in at that explosion moment where you've skyrocketed the the amount of people in business yeah well when I before I joined as part of the interview process I I think someone said to me that we would probably hire about 150 people in the the first year that that I was there sold it to me as a you know probably a standalone role for the first nine to 12 months you know which was fine for me uh, I, didn't, I didn't mind. I wasn't, wasn't precious about that sort of thing. But yeah, we got to the end of 2019. As I say, we'd, we'd hired 600 people and I had, I can't remember, I think five, six people then in a, in a team, plus two that we were bringing in from, you know, from a consultancy as well to to support with a, a massive spike in, in hiring needs. So yeah, I mean, you could say it's a good time to join uh, if you're a bit of a glutton for punishment. Uh, <laughs> but um yeah, you know, certainly interesting, certainly a challenge. It's been great fun along the way as well. And when we caught up the week before last, I believe it is, the, the, this year is flying by, we were talking about the, some of the tech you use in the house. 
So do you want to talk us through that a little bit? Um, so we're a Java house, which doesn't scream sexy, I think. You think new modern bank using a code base that's been around for uh, I'm going to say decades. How does how do those two marry up, right? But the key word for for us when when building Starling and and you know the engineering team, the people that pulled all this stuff together in the early days is is reliability. Mm-hmm. People will not put their money into a financial institution that they deem to be unreliable. You know, case in point, a bank. I'm not going to name names. You know, I think it was 2012 did a massive piece of work around uh, upgrade, upgrading their infrastructure and stuff like that. It went horribly wrong and it took them about a month to fix all the issues. You know, people were waking up the next day and seeing payments that should have been taken out that weren't, payments that weren't even theirs, um, balances incorrect. You know, the data had just got completely mixed up. Your money is your lifeline. And it's, and it's a very emotional and personal topic to people. Now, if you find that your money is not what you thought it should be, uh, or you wake up one morning and it's completely different, the relationship, the trust that you have with your bank it is, is super important. And, you know, for, for a new bank coming into the market, that reliability factor is, has got to be key. So, you know, for us using a, a tried and tested code base, you know, gave us that that security, but it also, from a hiring perspective, you know, we're not. I say this with the in the nicest possible way. We 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 give ourselves the freedom and flexibility to hire engineers who have a lot of skin in the game, versus newer coding bases that, yeah, perhaps haven't been around so long. It gives us more freedom and flexibility to find the people that we want to then hire as well, right? Yeah, and no, I think what you, what you said is really interesting about Java. I think that it's that stability that you're talking about there. But I think if you look at like a new te- technology like Rust, for example, that the next few mm. years will be taking over, I think, in a lot of areas. When you're a bank, like you say, you can't take as many risks as you can if you're certain businesses. Because if you're a certain type of business and your website goes down for an hour, it probably yeah. doesn't change the game. Whereas if your bank goes down for an hour and all these transactions change, you are changing a lot of people's lives quite quickly. Um, yeah. So like, I, that's why I think a lot of, I think that you see a lot of banks go the uh, go the Java or the C sharp route because they're much mm. more stable co bases that you know what you're going to get from them. And at the same time, people are always building on top of Java and C sharp as well. So yeah. it's not as if you're left behind because you're using Java. The reason it's been around for so long is that it's a very good technology. Yeah, and you know we you know, people can see. Uh, anyone I guess who knows us and, and the work that we do compared to the big banks or the legacy banks, whatever, uh, you know, the, the HSBCs and Barclays or whatever of this world, we deploy code and deploy our app into production several times a week, sometimes multiple times a day versus other organizations that perhaps can't or, or don't update their app once a month, yeah. maybe once a, once every six to eight weeks. So, you know, working with Java doesn't stifle us from being able to innovate you know we that that comes down to the types of people we hire and the ideas that we have and 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 being able to drive you know those things forward but using a code base that is is built upon something that's that's very lean and agile and allows us to work quickly means that there's almost 
there's you know there's less fear behind innovating because we know that we're building it on something that is reliable we, we say to people when you know you're not going to work with the, the you know, necessarily the sexiest sounding tools and languages or, or whatever but you're going to be building something that's pretty damn sexy and ahead of its time and ahead of most of its competitors as well and the fact that you are and excuse because i'm not talking about continuously deploying or as it is known in the tech industry but i think the fact that you the the engineers get a lot of opportunity to deploy is hugely mm. beneficial and it's a huge sell i think that yeah. i have a app with a certain big bank and the thing is near unusable at times so mm. the fact that the, the you've got engineers that are continuously deploying on top of it to improve the the service for your customers, I think is a really big sell. I, I guess the, the 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 next thing we went on during our, our last conversation was on on the pain points of an engineer that an engineer is looking for certain things. And if we're talking about big banks building on what you said a minute ago, I don't always think working at a big bank is the sexiest thing to do. It's not always something that if I'm an engineer that I think about doing but I think Starling mm. Bank are a quite a sexy brand to, to look at if you're an engineer so mm. what are you all doing internally to make that sell to uh, to engineers well I think the biggest difference is our larger more established competitors are not technology businesses yep. they are banks so do engineers go there and feel that they are the core of the organization? Uh, probably not. I'm saying that with a bit of trepidation because I've never worked in one and I'm not an engineer. So, you know, I can't say for definite, but I would imagine not. Whereas, you know, after uh, our operations team, who, um, you know, is obviously very big because of the need to, you know, deal with our customers. We're a 24 seven business in terms of the, the ability for our customers to, to contact us. After operations, our engineering and our technology division within Starling is probably the largest division in terms of employees. Now, that's not by accident. That's mm. because engineers are the core of the, the, the company. Starling is a technology company that just happens to have a banking license. So, you know, everything we do and, and the way we're built and the, the, the processes that, that we have all come back to does that work for, for, for a technology business? Uh, and, you know, engineers, I hope, see very quickly when they walk through the door how much their contribution is valued because, for want of a better phrase, we give them the keys to the castle from, from day one because yeah. we trust in them to, to be able to do the job. We hire engineers who will stand by the code that they write and some people have found themselves having their code being deployed into production from their very first day here. So, you know, we, we offer them the ownership and, and the accountability for, for their own work. The impact of their work can be seen very quickly and, you know, may sit in our code base for years after, after they've implemented it, right? So it's not everywhere that I think people get to go and, you know, be, be a part of, of that and we tend to try not to stifle them too much in, in the sense of, right, you're coming in and this is your work stream and you just need to focus solely on that. And you're working on this tiny little piece of the app and, and that's it. Go, you know, we, we kind of encourage um, engineers to think about their career development laterally rather than vertically. You know, we don't have this, okay, well, you're joining as a, 
a mid-level Java and the only route for you is senior principal lead. Actually, do you know what? If you've ever fancied a hand at doing some iOS stuff and you, you want to learn how to work with Swift or, or Kotlin or whatever on the Android side, because you know, you, you're thinking of branching out a little bit from back-end stuff, fine go on then go and spend some time with the the guys that are coding in 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 that space and see if, if you've got the time to work on some of that sort of stuff as a as a bit of a side project right so yeah it's important for people to feel sort of stimulated that the work they're doing has has value and impact and i think being a a technology business you know pe- people will see that front and center we're much more aligned to you know the the technology businesses of this world when it comes to our our working approach particularly for engineering than, than we are for you know what our our market competitors are in with the likes of other banks yeah I, and i think it's uh, i love i love the fact that you're saying we are a bank but we are a bank just because th- this is what we've fallen into we're a tech business and i find mm-hmm. that really really interesting that no matter the vertical you're in it sounds like actually if you hadn't fallen into banking, you would have done something else as a, as a business. Like it seems like the tech is what drives the business, not what the end product is, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, and founded the whole basis of Starling is that the banking system as, as she saw it, you know, after the last financial crisis was not working in the best interests of, of its customers. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like, you know, the, the crisis is over. We're, we're okay again. And let's just go back to how things were before. Whereas she could see the impact that new technology was having on the way it fundamentally shifted the focus to to the consumer, and and banks weren't doing that. Uh, and and in her mind, you know, most of them are of you know, I say, older, established, maybe running on technology that's you know thirty years old, very hard to change, and therefore very difficult to innovate how do we how do we go about giving a, a bank that that she felt customers kind of deserved build on from scratch uh and and say having that technology first focus means it's it's much easier to to be able to implement the the changes and and, and you know build something that fits with her vision as well yeah and um not to just building on that point not to to date this podcast too much but for any listeners that listen in six months' time, the next question I'm asking is due to the fact we're about to go into a second lockdown, which is uh, yeah. fun, fun for everyone. But you, you previously said to me about how when you joined the business, I think you mentioned that the candidates were 63% of them came via uh, via agency. Mm. And quite quickly, you got that down to 7%, which is ridiculous. Like in, in the time you've been there, that's incredible numbers. So how have you gone about that? Honestly, COVID helped a little bit (laughs) Um, because it gave us uh, an opportunity to take stock a little bit and think about, okay, well, everything we're doing needs to change. Onboarding people remotely, you know, how do we make that a success? You know, we need to change, change a few things up. And, And it kind of focused the mind a little bit on, right, we need, we need, we need even more control over how we're communicating with candidates where those candidates are coming from so actually it was quite a nice excuse for me to convince that you know we just need to turn the taps off from outside influence completely which you know we we were starting to do anyway but it by being able to say now's the time to just completely switch them off what we've then been able to show is that well we you know 
in the nicest possible way. We, we haven't needed them at all since since then. So, yeah, you know, you referenced 7% there last quarter. I think our, our average for tech um, in, in, in engineering was, was 7%. Honestly, most of those were people who had long notice periods that we'd made offers to four or five months ago or whatever. So I think in in a ideal world, it will probably drop um, even lower over the the, the, the coming months and, uh, and quarters. But, you know, you're right. First first quarter of 2019, I was there. We were only really seeing candidates from two routes. And that was just job adverts on our on our website, which we basically had one advert at the time that was a catch all software infra mobile engineers. We're hiring. Come and talk to us. Um, and we were then saying to, you know, a handful of agencies at the time, we need these people go and find them as well. So we had we had two routes to market, essentially. Mm-hmm. Brand wasn't as strong as it is now. You know, obviously, we've, we've come on quite a lot in the last couple of years. So we, we sort of needed them to, to go out there and, and spread the word. By the end of last year, we'd, you know, um, we'd started diversifying our own source mix and I say some of this stuff and it will sound terribly basic to a lot of people who are working at established organizations and it, and it is basic, but that's the thing, right? It's about getting the basics right. Mm-hmm. We hired two internal tech recruiters. We did things like LinkedIn uh, talent solutions. Every, you know, people are getting recruiter seats. We were starting to utilize updating our careers page. We made an, an engineering uh, sort of careers video that, that went online that, you know, isn't people like me talking about why it's great to work here. It's actually having conversations with our engineers and them talking about their role here and what it is they get to do. Uh, and, you know, again, that that helped to see, you know, greater engagement with, with candidates directly. Um, yeah, I mean, we've gone from having sort of two sources of candidates to, you know, I think last last quarter we had candidates coming from about six or seven different avenues you know the volume doesn't necessarily go up then it's not that we're hiring more of them and, and we needed that but what it shows is the power of our brand and from a business <laughs> point of view uh paying for for internal tools and people sat internally i think we all know the argument that okay on paper it looks like they cost a lot but when you stop spending 15 to 20 percent of a, a good decent uh engineer's yeah, salary yeah. on on a on an invoice you can quickly see the benefits that that those present and so in a surreal way it's a fairly easy conversation to have a, a business at this point you want to make money you want to be profitable here's yep. an easy way around it right we all know the other positives from it controlling the brand messaging and, and and having a closer relationship with those candidates from the start we control the brand we control the message it's um yeah it's, it's paid dividends and obviously yeah you know from a a selfish perspective it looks great to say 63 down to seven and and continuing to to hopefully go in that direction as as well and you you say that what you were saying there is quite basic but i think that there's a there's a really missed narrative to that for me that i think that what you said is perfect they are tools but they're tools to make you successful like having linkedin licenses and seats doesn't make you successful there is so much more to it and when you're talking about the the savings, you probably, if you're hiring like 80, 90K engineers, you probably need to hire three of them as a recruiter to make yeah. yourself cost neutral. And with yeah. the hiring you're doing, suddenly that saving adds up very, very quickly. So adding a yeah. couple of internal people, it might cost you a bit of money. 
up front, but you'll probably save 10 times that quite quickly. Yeah. I mean, we had people can do the maths themselves, but last year, I think we had like 106 people into the technology division and about 80 of those. We hired a fairly decent number of, of software engineers last year. Yeah. Now, you know, if 63% of those are going to come from, from an agency, you know, you don't, don't need to be a, a world-class mathematician to know that that's a lot of money to recruiters and, and some, you know, the right tools to mix that up and, and have those people identified d- directly more than pays for itself. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, so I know the average, the average hire through our platform during Q3 was 64K. So yeah. uh, obviously we don't work on transactional, but if you're working on transactional and you're in 20%, that's 12, 12,800. So mm-hmm. times that by how many you do. So 80, like that is a mm-hmm. hell of a lot of money that you are saving. Yeah. So even getting it down 7% and you're saying you're going to get, get it down even further, but it's ridiculous money you're saving that can be reinvested elsewhere because the yeah. company, the business were open to spending that to some extent. I'm sure that they always want to drive that down but they're open to it to some extent. But now that money can go towards everyone enjoying the business a little bit more because it's going into your lives a little bit more. So I think that's a better way to invest it. And it shows, you know, it's it's easy then to showcase. I think it's not until you have a a good, well-partnering internal recruitment function that can can show, not, not just on a cost basis, but can also show very quickly the the pain saving that hiring managers can receive by having somebody basically do all the painful hiring bits for them hiring managers are there they're being paid to do a job that isn't recruiting now in a in an environment like ours actually they were probably spending a lot of their time doing recruitment related activity we're also then able to give that additional productivity back to the business, right? By saying, don't worry about the fact that you've just gone and posted a role and there are 300 applications in it. Don't even look at it anymore because I'll tell you when I've got top 10 that I, I need you to interview. Again, uh, making myself sound like you know, it's, it's a lot of really basic stuff, but we can't then go and do some of the stuff you know, we want to plan to do you know, in, the, in, the, in the next 12 months um, until you get those bits right. Yeah, no, I, I love the fact that you're talking about owning owning the brand there and you were speaking about that a little bit earlier, that when you, because I'm not a fan, to be honest, of, of clients on, on our system at least, when we're doing all the work, um, not all the work, but when we're doing the leading of the brand, because you know your brand a lot more better than any provider will. So it should be yourselves that are selling the brand because you can yeah. do the best job of it. So I like the fact that you're, you're kind of talking about that as well. And I think the... The other point on on top of of top of that, when you're talking about saving manager time, is that if you are using agencies, the manager has to deal with more people, so he's chasing more people. It's not just the the time spent on uh, on reviewing profiles; it's also the time spent talking to people outside the business that are probably harder to contact, and you're you're getting a so there's a lot of losses on that side. Um, I guess m- my final question for you is uh, a little bit cryptic and a little bit mystic Meg. <laughs> if, you, if you had to take some some guesses, it sounds like Stalin is going to have a pretty good 2021, but what would you say 2021 will look like from a recruitment perspective? Is there any changes that you think will happen or you'd like to see happen? So I guess I'll answer it in two ways. So so from, from our point of view, 
you know, I think the days of 600 hires a year going into next year will probably plateau a little bit. We're ready to enter the, you know, the next, uh, the next phase of Starling's life, I guess, which, you know, has a, has a couple of, uh, differences, I suppose, you know, it means that the team can stop focusing and, and, and rely, spending all of their time just on delivery to, to, to meet demand. We, you know, we can be better at, you know, things like workforce planning, demand forecast, and the, you know, some of the, I say the, the value add bits that, that we want to do. So moving from the, again, say that the sort of the, the, the TA sort of maturity model being down at the, the basic sort of foundational level and then starting to move into those those next areas that that, that make us a bit better. Yep. From a wider recruitment point of view, I think the, the situation that we're in right now will open up or should open up possibilities for being able to find talent outside of your organization's normal hotspots. You know, if if this has taught us anything, I think it's that people do not need to be sat in an office five days a week to be productive and certainly from from our point of view it sounds a bit it sounds almost wrong to say but uh, you know during the you know the last sort of six seven months as an organization you know we, we've continued to to do very well and and perform really strongly now you know, I'm not saying that all of that is down to the fact that we're all suddenly working from home, but you know what it, I think what it shows is the the productivity and the engagement of employees. If you've got a good setup uh, and your employees feel valued to begin with, then being at home five days a week doesn't make productivity fall off a cliff. So, from a talent attraction point of view, pulling people in, as I say, outside of those locations that you would normally hire in, and and for us, you know, particularly for for engineering, that's predominantly been very London centric. And then, you know, for the last sort of 12, 15 months, Southampton uh, as well as, as we've been growing there. But, you know, for us to then be able to say, actually, do you know what? It doesn't matter if you can't commute to one of those offices five days a week, because most of us probably won't go into the office five days a week. You know, the ability to pull people in from, yeah, from outside of your usual talent markets, I think should, should definitely be a plus point. And I think the companies that are perhaps more open to that from the start will find themselves in a in a better position to be attracting more uh, of the people that they want quicker nice nicely said so got to the end of the pod so you've done well (laughs) um i think it'd be good for people to understand how to reach out to you if they want to after the pod so how is the best way to contact you well, I, as far as I'm aware, I am the only Mark Douch in the world. On, on yeah, well, maybe, but def- I think on LinkedIn, if people want to, yeah, find me, then then having a quick search on on LinkedIn and reaching out to me that way is is probably the easiest. Yeah, otherwise, I don't know if people want to uh, reach out to you guys and get put in contact. Then again, that's that's fine. But to reach out to me directly. I try and check my LinkedIn uh, mailbox as much as I can. So if, if people want to reach me that way, then they're more than welcome to. I can confirm you are the only Mark Douch on LinkedIn. Oh, you just had a look, uh, have you? Yeah, 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 exactly. There is a Mark Douch um, with a K, but you are the yeah. only Mark Douch with a C. So See? congratulations, there you go. unique. I'm, I'm in a very exclusive club. <laughs> <laughs> a club of one. If people want to reach out to Hackerjob, uh, reach out to hello at hackerjob.co. Thanks for your time, Mark. Cool, no worries. No, thank you.